You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Boot computer, list of today's guests, signing in chat room, lining up news articles, checking levels, adjusting camera, secure wire connection, restart computer, checking video feed. With all she's got to do, you'd think Nicole Sandler was a one-woman band. Well, she is, and she's ready for another show. And now, here's the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com. Well, happy International Women's Day, (laughs) such as it is. Uh, Welcome to the show. We have a great show planned for you today. Unfortunately, I'm still having the same problem streaming to YouTube that we've had this week. I'm working on it, just so you know. It's not for lack of trying. We're working on it. But what's going to happen is the same thing that's happened for those of you who watch on YouTube uh, over the last couple of days where it'll the stream will cut out intermittently. We are, though, up on Facebook. We are streaming on Twitter. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Nicole Sandler and just look for the tweet that has um, today's show. It, it'll show up um, on Facebook. The Nicole Sandler Show or uh, N. Sandler are my two Facebook accounts. It should be on both of those sites. On Twitch, if you know how to get to Twitch, we're Nicole Sandler Show on Twitch. Um, I'm just giving you other options. You can also, like our friends on Progressive Voices, listen to just the audio stream. Right now, YouTube is working, but I'm telling you, it's going to cut out. It's just doing something really weird. And I'm working with the people at Wirecast to make the the software that I use to stream video to try to troubleshoot. It's just, you know, it's just a typical uh, gremlin that's got me. So I'm just giving you other alternatives because you really want to be here today because we do have a great show. It is International Women's Day. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand why we have a celebration of International Women's Day or Women's History Month. But those of you who've listened to this program for any amount of time, um, remember my friend Amy Simon. Amy uh, Amy and I have been friends for many, many years. And for the last, oh, decade or so, Amy has been 
um, uh, doing, uh, working on a women's history project. It's called She's History, and you'll learn all about it in just a moment. Um, I'm just, I'm just having a, a hell of a day. I really, I tried everything to uh, to make this thing work, and and well, of course, it didn't happen. So uh, that said, let's um, waste no more time and get right to the meat, the heart of the matter, to women. Um, Larry R. says, I don't understand why this show would buffer when other YouTube channels are fine. It's not YouTube in this case. It's my software. It's on this end. Bear with me. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. It's my gremlins. They follow me around and it's a thing. All right. So you're ready to celebrate women? Because I certainly am. So take it away. Um, Imaging gods. It's time for Amy Simon of She's History. The most dangerous women in American history. Then and now. Is the International Day of the Women? No, it's the International Women's Day. Amy Simon is with us. She's a cultural historian, playwright, and performer of She's History, the most dangerous women in America then and now. And what is today? March 8th is the International Day of the Woman. Oh. And it actually started in Europe in the 1900s as a movement to get political and economic rights for working women. That's the seed, the origin of March 8th, which is also my daughter's birthday, which I think is hilarious that I gave birth to two girls in Women's History Month before I knew anything about Women's History Month. Oh, funny. They were both born in March, huh? And so's Gloria Steinem. (laughs) Okay, so they're in good company. So it is the International Day of the Woman. It is in what was first known and recognized as Women's History Week. That's how it began, and now it's expanded to a month. So, Amy Simon, tell us how this came about. So, I've taught you well, number one. You Um, have. So, in 1972, which was the beginning of the women's liberation movement, the 70s was just a hotbed of activity. So were the 1800s, which was really the first wave of feminism. So the seven, the 1970s is sort of considered the second wave of feminism. In 1972, this is when Roe v. Wade just was getting passed, like a lot of stuff was going on. There was one woman named Molly McGregor who lived in California, and she was uh, teaching uh, a history class. She was a history teacher. And a boy asked her, what is the women's movement? Because he had just seen the first issue of Ms. Magazine. And that was that's where he saw it. Wow. And I got to talk to Molly McGregor for like an hour many, many years ago. So she told me this whole story. She's one of the many fabulous females I'm lucky enough to know. She said she was very happy that the young boy asked her on a Friday because she needed to think how to answer the question and she needed the weekend. So she goes home and she's looking through her own library for a book on women's history, of which there were hardly any. She found one book called Freedom Ferment. And in it, there was one chapter on uh, Seneca Falls, which I'll talk about in a bit, which okay. was where the, in 1848, where the first women's convention was held. Anyway, she's also, so she 
she starts to get the seed planted. Meanwhile, she's also teaching a course at Sonoma State College on sexism in education. And she assigns her students to go into the library and do an analysis on women's history. They go to the library and what a shocker, they find three to five books on women's history, which hadn't been checked out in 15 years. For any of our viewers who are young, in the olden days, you would go to the library and you would check out a book Mm -hmm. and there would be a little card with the date that the book has been checked out. Remember that? In the back back page or be a pocket pocket. with a card in it. I might even have one here because I have so many (laughs) books from the library. I actually worked in the library in college. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. 15 years, nobody's checked out any books. So she starts to seethe and the seed is planted. And meanwhile, she goes to this uh, task force that was happening, an all-female task force, she told me, in Sonoma County, which was on the Education Task Force on the Status of Women. And some study had just recently come out uh, talking about girls and women and their economic status and that they weren't learning enough math and science. Gee, we've really actually come a long way since then. This is the 1970s, and we mm-hmm. have come a long way. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how long it takes to get stuff done. So she tells them that we have to start to celebrate women and let's do this Women's History uh, Day which was because they had a parade. Actually, no, I take it back. It was a week. It was okay. a week. And she says, we're going to do a parade and there's going to be costumes. And she says to me, it was an easy sell because she had all this economic documentation. She had to like present this whole thing. So they do this parade and it's very well received, very successful. And then they do it again the next year. It's bigger and better. And there's all this publicity. So she gets invited to the Sarah Lawrence Institute, which was doing this summer program in New York, headed by this amazing woman named Gerda Lerner, who has since passed. Gerda Lerner started the first women's studies program in America. I actually took women's studies in college, and the first one was in San Diego. She was a pioneer in women's studies. So they have this whole institute, this panel, this program in the summer where there were all these very, as as Molly put it, prominent scholars. And they're very impressed with her, with Molly McGregor's curriculum. She had a whole curriculum. And as I think I told you, some of these women were friends with Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. So this is like 1970, whatever. She goes back home. She, she was, had been in grad school. She quits grad school and she starts this national women's history project, which was an organization that I actually got to perform for many years ago. And now it's called the National Women's History Alliance. And I encourage your don, your donor. I encourage your viewers. Hopefully donors, uh, but this is the website. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. National Women's History Alliance, NWHA.org. It's just this wonderful organization that charts and celebrates women. Okay. So she says to me, she's sitting in her office. She'll never forget it. And she gets a phone call from the White House and it's Sarah Weddington. Ooh. And that name is familiar because Sarah Weddington, uh, when she was a 26 year old Texas lawyer, she represented Jane Doe in Roe v. Wade. Okay. But it's 1979, she was Jimmy, or 1980, she was Jimmy Carter's assistant. And all these women had worked hard to bring this idea, this this idea of a Women's History Month or week to Jimmy Carter. And it was. He said, yes, it started out as a week. And Molly said, I believe it took six more years before it turned into Women's History Month. Wow. And that's why so, March is Women's History Month. Yeah. And I love that a boy asked a question. 
And that started the whole thing. I, and, and a woman answered it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, yeah. well, let me think it through and give you a well thought out answer on Monday. Yeah. You know, you know that, it's just so weird. that's something to, to take a lesson from. Just saying. Yeah. For me to take a lesson from, because I often speak without really thinking. Yeah. Just saying. It's really good to just sit back and, and ruminate or, you know, think about stuff. So so yeah. that happened, you know, what, a hundred years ago? Was that about what year? What year was women? 19, 1980 oh. was when Women's History Week. Yeah, this is Jimmy Carter. Oh, so not a hundred years ago. It just feels like a hundred yeah, years no, ago. No, but you're probably thinking of March 8th, which is the, the early right. 1900s. Okay. It was really a socialist movement, you know, because, you know, they're... <laughs> Yeah. So how do we recognize Women's History Month now? What happens in 2023? Do we? Oh, tons of stuff. I just got an email from the West Hollywood Women's Chambers. There's celebrations all over the country. If any, just Google Women's History Month in your neighborhood, in your state, in your city. And believe me, there'll be a lot of things going on. And you can go to my website and read, you know, great stories about fabulous females, my fabulous female facts. And hopefully some of them are running right now uh, in rotation this month on the Progressive Voices Network because we recorded that would a be bunch lovely. of them. Okay, so you, Amy Simon, cultural historian, some, what, 10 years ago already now, started working on this uh, you know, topic actually, of women's history? My obsession with women and women's history started when I became a mother. Mm-hmm. That's when it really started. And I wrote my first play, Cheerios in My Underwear. Remember it well. And Yeah. And it, that happened because I was traveling with, with a toddler and a baby on a plane for 11 hours. And when I got to my destination, I took my clothes off and there were Cheerios everywhere. You know, you really can't make up the good stuff. Right. The real stuff is always the funniest. But I was a, a, a you know, well-educated um, working woman. And independent and financially secure and chose at the age of 36. I got pregnant. I had my first child at 37 and my second at, at 41. And I was very lucky that I chose and was able to be a stay at home mom. And I was old enough to appreciate that, but boy, motherhood, what a shocker. And my whole life changed. And, you know, I, most of my friends didn't have babies and I was very isolated and I went through, I didn't have postpartum depression, but I was just really lonely. I didn't have any family and childcare, child which care. I want to really talk about today. Okay. We will get my into husband. That. Right. Yeah. Oh. I was, like I said, I was really lucky that I didn't have to work outside the home. My husband made enough money, but he also traveled a lot. So I was really alone. And I had a really rough time. But, you know, I, I'm grateful for it because I found my voice as a writer about women and, and women's history. You did. And so, I remember yeah. I remember. For, so when you were doing Cheerios in my underwear, you would talk about the mom tax and what you learned because you wound up getting divorced. And right. and so I did a bunch of research. One of several books. First, there was a book called Mothers Who Think. Mm-hmm. And then there were essays of women. And I was like, oh, I'm not the only one that thinks this way. And then there was um, some essay contest that I entered for the first time. I wrote an essay called It Never Ends. And I won first prize and I won $100. And that gave me the confidence. And I actually had started to write down all these things that my kids were saying, like, you know, mom, does God have a boss? And why is the sky blue? And what's a dildo? You know, these kids. <laughs> Where did they, they ask you? I'm like, oh, it's a funny bird, honey. Yes. 
Um, yeah. So I, I wrote down all these things, these pieces of paper, and I put them in a box and I ended up writing my play, Cheerios in My Underwear. But I did a ton of research. And one of the books that I read was called Perfect Madness by Judith Warner. This was many years ago. And I was very impressed and challenged and upset because she had her family in France, family friendly France. She was a journalist and she had like two kids and everything was lovely. And then they moved to Washington, D.C. for uh-huh. work, uh-huh. she and her husband. And she started to try to find childcare, and she realized that childcare was more expensive than her her salary couldn't even cover it. And and her book is called Perfect Madness. What a great title! And then I read Anne Crittenden, her book called The Price of Motherhood: Why the Most Important Job in the World is the Least Valued. This book is like the Bible. And this was in 2001, I think, is when I found this book. And she's the one that said, having a baby is the worst financial decision a woman can make. Wow. And she was right. Because, you know, the way our system is, the way our culture is, you know, I've been doing research on this forever and ever. And I know we're going to talk about my play, She's History, which is about women who make and made history. And I have been developing it into a full cast version of the play. So I'm always studying and learning more. And I recently had discovered, um, I think it was, you know, I don't know how many years ago, there was a study that women who came out of college, it was women who came out of college that were interviewing for jobs, they took off their wedding rings. If wow. they had were married, they took off their wedding rings. Because they would then their possible future employers would think they might become a mother and wouldn't hire them. So there's a whole culture of maternal profiling of which I was a victim of. And I I use that word carefully because I'm not into the whole victim thing. But you know what? It's a real thing. Maternal profiling and aging, for especially for women, is a real thing. Right. But what you learned even before that, when you tried to go back into the job market, just learning once you got divorced that... Before before you had babies, you were working. Uh, you were a record rep. That's how we first met. I was yeah. doing radio, I was music a financially radio, independent working right. Sure. So I'm doing music radio in L.A. and you were working records promotion. And then you yeah. then you had Rose and you stayed at home. And after your divorce, you realized that when you decided to leave the workforce and become a stay at home mom, your um your social security benefits stopped accruing. What a shocker. I had no idea. I mean, m- many of us don't know a lot. <laughs> We're, ignorance is bliss. That was the theme of Cheerios in my underwear, but mm-hmm. that's not my theme anymore. It's not bliss. We need to know things. No, any stay-at-home mom or dad, when you stop being in the paid workforce, your social security stops. So when I get my social security statement, there's a 13-year gap. And it's, you know, I'm starting over financially, you know, once and it took me a really long time to get a decent job. And, you know, I've been lucky enough now to have a job, but I'm still only making a little bit more than I was when I left the workforce in 1998, something like that. Right around there. No, no, it it was way, no, it was 1993 because I had my baby in 1994. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. And I will say, when I was working and I got pregnant, I got laid off. Wow. And I got mad. And, you and got... I sued. Oh. And I won benefits for my maternity benefits. And I remember 
when I told my boss that I had six only, first of all, it's only six weeks of maternity leave, which is ridiculous. You know, I just want to sidestep a minute. My daughter now is a mother. My daughter yes. Rose just had her. And she lives in yes. England. Yeah. Yeah. And I, she, she just had her second baby. And when you have a baby in England, they come to visit you every two weeks at the beginning when you for a first new mom, they come to check on you. Who, it's so wait, humane. Who, is, who is they? Who they? The national health system. They send a nurse. They come check you out and make sure you're doing okay. It's like, that is so, you know, here they kick you out of the hospital as soon as. Yeah. You want a a nurse? You pay mucho buckos to get somebody to come to your house. Well, there's actually two two levels of health care in England. So I don't want to make, make it sound like it's the most perfect situation. It's way better than ours, but there were times where she had to pay, you know, pay for private health care. There is still private health care, although the national health care is pretty good over there, but it's not the same. You know, it's never the right. same. Well, they're There's having problems. Two- and again, it's because of the polit- politicians who want to cut benefits. They are austerity measures, yeah, but they don't want people to have health care. And so, you know, the nurses yeah. have been on strike in the UK for a while. So, they have right. issues, but only because, you know, people who emulate the Trumpers and Republicans over here are trying to kill off the great health care benefits that they currently enjoy. What did I just hear in the news that made my blood boil? I mean, where do we even start? Um, not just tracking menstrual cycles, but, oh, this is a little bit off topic, and I'm sure you know this, Nicole, because you know so much, that it's, of course, it's in Florida, I believe, sorry, that they want to legislate bloggers. Did you hear about this? Oh, do, yeah. well, I'd be in danger. In Florida, There's they just introduced a legislation that if you have a blog, if you write about the governor or any right. of the cabinet members or right. any member of the legislature— they want you have to register with the state. Yeah. Not only That's do you have to, disaster. Not only do you have thing. to register, you also have to say if you get paid for your writing on a blog, who pays you and how much? What? what oh, no, we're just I was watching Bernie Sanders actually last night mm-hmm. on Bill Maher. And, you oh, know, he was on Bill Maher. I guess I'll have to watch. I, I, just, I don't do I know. Bill Maher I'm, I know. I know. We can talk about that. Anyway, back to women's stuff. <laughs> um, when I when I uh, got laid off from my job and I sued and I won, um, I got phone calls going forward from women saying, thank you. They treat us a lot better now. I was working for a major record company. At that time, we had records. Yes. Well, we might have had CDs then. You had CDs then. Yeah, but <laughs> a still music records. company. Right, right. But when I told my boss, I'll never forget this, as I was saying, because I had six weeks of maternity leave. (laughs) My boss, I said, yeah, I'm pregnant and I'm going to. And he goes, fuck you. Oh, my God. He goes, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Are you fucking? He went off and I said, talk slower. I'm writing. (laughs) (laughs) This is before we all had recorders on our cell phones. (laughs) I'm like writing it. Yeah. So, and I did get offered um, a job afterwards because I, when I worked in the music business, I had a newsletter. Like I really didn't even know I was a writer and I've been a writer my whole life. I didn't even know it. I had a newsletter called Simon Says, and I would talk about all my records and records, CDs, music artists. Yeah. After I um, left the workforce of not of my own volition, (laughs) I did get an offer to write for one of the music trades, but I really wanted to be a stay at home mom. I, I knew, I didn't know anything about the economic 
uh, downfall and uh, what was going to happen to me financially. I just knew my husband traveled all the time. I didn't have any family and I wanted to be home and I was lucky enough to have that choice. So I, I didn't go back into the workforce for many years. And the first, I think the first job I couldn't, and, and when I got divorced and had a terrible time as many women do it was also during 2000 it was around 2004 5 6 during the beginning of the yeah it was the worst worst bush economy years. since the de- the bush depression. years right and the bush gave us a, a depression of the bush depression they called it a recession yeah. but depression yeah it it was terrible. I mean, I couldn't get hired. And I can I remember when I went, I had to get lawyers and pay a ton of money. My ex-husband was a lawyer. And it was just a very, again, when I look back, it was really horrible. But boy, it, it inspired me to be doing what I'm doing now. So you have to be, you know, silver lining, silver lining. But I will say the family legal system is really, that's what inspired my work on women's history, specifically women's history, she's history, were two things three things. One was my divorce and dealing with the family legal system and how sexist and wrong it was. It was the economic downfall of the country and I couldn't get a job, maternal profiling and ageism because I was like 40 something. And then it was my raising girls. My daughter came home from school, literally said, Mom, I'm doing my women's history report on Cher or Janet Jackson. (laughs) And my head exploded. And, you know, here we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So you said those are your that's who you there's all these women. And, and then you went yeah, well, looking for for books about women's history and found a, a void. What was really disturbing about this was that her teacher let her do it on Janet Jackson. But four years later, her my other daughter, Ruby, did hers on Victoria Woodhull, the first woman to run for president. And I will say that my daughter, Ruby, had a really great social studies teacher, Dave Foldbury, Dave Foldbury. I love him because he was all into what I was doing because I was creating a a middle school program for She's History. And I would go and I was lucky enough again to be a stay-at-home mom. And I volunteered in the school and I did, you know, stuff like that. But I went into the classroom and I worked with the classroom. I remember also I was trying to get some paid work and I had done improv and taught improv in my life. So the school hired me and I did a few after-school improv classes for hardly any money at all and I'm bringing this up because I tried so hard to get a job and when I went to court with my law my third lawyer who said to me don't say a word let me do all the talking and I want to go back to that because that's a theme in women's history Uh quiet woman stand in the back you know I think about the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy who was an actual feminist if you think about it she you know uh stood up to authority she left an abusive situation you know and you know she was told quiet dorothy quiet troublemaker you know i think of elizabeth warren who was silenced on the floor of the house of representatives and that's how we got she persisted mitch mcconnell yeah you know Mm -hmm. malala yousafzai was this you know 12 13 year old schoolgirl in pakistan who was shot on her school van because she was blogging about life under the taliban for the bbc and they tried to silence her like we have tried to be silenced anyway back to me in court which was so much fun and it was during it was 2007 or 8 it was the most terrible time for the economy i couldn't get hired i went on a million i i didn't even get i think i got one or two interviews i went to you know a temp tried to even couldn't even get a temp job i mean my skills were not up to date I didn't know what, you know, certain things were. I couldn't do Excel. Now I can do all those things because I've been trained. But I had a judge that was so 
terrible. She was like, tell, she actually said this because I wrote this. Tell your client to go to Macy's and get a job. Oh, my God. I was, I wanted to pull a share on her and go, snap out of it. Where, where is your reality? I was in my 40s. I had worked in retail when I was 17 years old. Right. In the mall. Yeah. You know, and I was competing with all these young people out of, you know, college and everybody was trying to find a job. The And California had the worst statistic at that time for older people trying to get hired. There's still, you know, it took, there was some study. It took 10 years. It took me 10 years. You know, I finally got a decent job in 2016 part-time, which, no, it was 2013 part-time. It took me until 2016 to get it to be full-time, to get it to be, um, to get benefits. And I only got vested. I mean, I only started to work on my financial retirement, which is, I can't, you know, make me rich, Nicole, so we can both retire. We just have to play the lottery. We have to win the lottery. We can play the lottery. Winning is the, the, I always said, I will leave this earth probably broke, but I won't regret that I didn't do what I wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. so, but still it's, it's not a good answer because when, you know, women are still making, I think was 77 cents on the dollar, women of color worse. Yep. So, you know, people always say to me, oh, but we've made so much progress. I'm like, it's easy to go up when you've been underneath the floor. You know, we started so low down that we can only go up, you know, so anyway, anyway, so there's, there's the history of, of she's history. So now you, this, this started out as a one woman show, a one woman play that you performed and you, as you mentioned earlier with your daughter's school, you, you also created a curriculum to go with it and a, a program to bring She's History to the schools and age appropriate. So you would have one program for middle schoolers, a different one yeah, for high school. I had different versions. And when I first started doing the solo show, which was 2009, 2010, wow. And I did, you know, I did get to do it. Not as much as a few schools. I really, I'm very good at marketing. I come from a background of promotion and marketing. Luckily for me, because a lot of people in the arts, you know, performers, actors, they have no idea. So I was lucky. And I, but I couldn't make a living. I mean, I did military bases, libraries, some schools, and I get a few hundred dollars. I mean, my biggest paycheck was three. $3,000 for one gig at Hunter College in Manhattan. That was my biggest. And I did, you know, and I'm happy to, you know, women should talk more about their salaries and what they get. Oh, without Um, a doubt. I, you know, look, I don't shy away from it. And I've told the story many times, just as a, a, a quick aside here. In 2008, right, I was at, or, or actually 2006, I was producing a morning show at a, at a progressive talk station here in South Florida. And the host, Jim DeFeedy, great guy, had newspaper background, but no radio background. So I was brought in as his producer, wound up being his sidekick, news anchor, uh, station promotion. I mean, everything. Um, and then when they didn't renew his contract after a year, they put me in his slot. Jim, I knew, was making $90,000 a year. I come in. And I was this producer, I think I've been making 40 and taking over it, just adding on the hosting duties. In addition to everything else I was already doing, they raised my salary to $45,000 a year, half of what he was making doing a fraction mm-hmm. of the work. And that was typical. That was clear channel in 2006, 2007. Okay. We're going to go. To, to the gender gap, to the, to that. I mean, let's talk about Lily Ledbetter. Mm-hmm. 
you know, her story in 2009, the first bill that Obama signed into law was the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Restoration Act. This is Lilly Ledbetter's words. And I believe she read this when Obama signed the Fair Pay Restoration Act. I hired in with Goodyear February 5th, 1979. We needed the work because we couldn't make it on just one salary. There were not any women above me in management. Most of the women who had those positions, they didn't last. It was hard work, dangerous work. I put up with a lot of harassment. I was groped, propositioned. The men, they threatened me. I had my tires slashed. They cut my brake cable, broke my windshield, and my supervisors flat out told me they meant to get rid of me. The wives didn't want me on the factory floor with their husbands. Well, I carried a knife with me and bought a gun at Lewis Carroll Jewelers. I never mentioned to my husband, Charles, I knew he would want me to quit or take matters into his own hands. I go into work one evening and there's this note. It has four names and it was the three men and myself. We had the same job and the lowest paid one. He had less education, less training, was younger and was already making 600 plus more a month than I was. Goodyear was paying me unfairly for 17 years. It just floored me. I debated, do I really want to make a stand? The easy thing to do was to let it go. I told my husband, I have to file a charge in Birmingham, Alabama, and if I start, I'll be in it for at least eight years. Wow. He said, what time do you want to leave? Wow. Wow. Lily Ledbetter. And that I was the first... so emotional. That was yeah, so first... that was her... Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. That was the first piece of legislation that Barack Obama signed into law when he was elected. I know. That's that's why it was, you know, she was amazing. And, you know, it's it's to me, it's very interesting about this story, because having a partner, a right partner is so key. It can be. It can, for instance, you look at someone like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was the architect of the women's movement, and she didn't have a great. She met her husband; he's ten years older than her, and he was an abolitionist. And she, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who was born in eighteen fifteen, and she was very privileged, also very rich. She ended up with seven kids, very educated, very smart, and very determined. And she's the one that called for the first women's rights convention. And I'm bringing her up because when she stood up and asked for women to vote. In 1848, at this women's rights convention, her husband was not on board. She had to get Frederick Douglass, the very famous black abolitionist, to stand with her. And a lot of people were like, you're asking for too much. This was a convention to ask for political and economic rights for women in 1848. This was the first women's rights convention. And then I bring, I think of other women who had really great partners like Bella Abzug. She had a really great partner because she, and, she, and I'm working on a play about Bella Abzug, by the way, a solo play about her because her life was nice to be, you know, learned about. Yep. Her husband made it possible for her to be a congresswoman, a lawyer. And she, she, she wrote, because I've read all her biography, her autobiography, that before they married, they had a whole talk because she said, I'm not going to give everything up because I'm going to be a mom. And because she had a great partner, she was able to do everything. Same with Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm also had a really great partner, but it was, you know, Shirley Chisholm's mom had to send her children back to her mom in Barbados. Shirley Chisholm was actually born in Brooklyn, but, um, when her mom and dad, they couldn't, they couldn't find childcare. 
So they sent their children for a few years away to live with Shirley Chisholm's mom so that they could save enough money to buy a home and send their kids to college. And the same thing with Belva Lockwood. Now, that's a name that's not that familiar. Belva Lockwood in the 1800s was the second woman to run for president. She ran twice in 1884 and 1888. And the only reason she could do that was because she sent her child to live with her mother. Child care is such... You know, I was just doing some research for this segment, Nicole, and child care now, if you have a baby today... It's like 10 grand a year just for childcare. Oh, and who that. knows the quality of it? No, because if you want to bring in somebody to your home to watch your kids, that's a full-time job for them. And they need to earn a living wage or better. And so it is. It's it's untenable. You know, you mentioned yeah. the research or whoever wrote that having a baby is like the worst financial decision. And Crittenden. And Crittenden. Well, as you know... In 2000, I adopted my daughter as a single woman, and it is right around the same time my radio station was sold. It was consolidation and broadcasting, but my career took a huge hit. I've never recovered. I was making a really good living when I adopted yep. Allison. One yep. of the reasons I did is because I could afford it. I never made that kind of money again. Yep, me too. Right. You know, Ann Crittenden was a, um, a Pulitzer Prize nominated journalist. She wrote for the Washington, uh, not the Washington Post, the New York Times. Uh, she was uh, really very well respected in her field. I and mean, she intentionally left the paid workforce to become a mother. And the seed was for her book was planted when after she became a mother, she ran into someone she knew. And she said, oh, didn't you used to be Ann Crittenden? <gasps> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that's so telling. Yeah. That's just so telling. So, you know, as, as again, I wanted to bring up childcare because it is such an, such an issue. During the pandemic, there was something called the She Session. Mm -hmm. Where a third, I think it was, I have the statistic somewhere, like a third of women left the workforce during the pandemic, stopped getting paid because they couldn't manage. Right. You know, I mean, it was called a she session and we're starting to recover now a little bit, but it's just, and just in the, this year, this year in the Congress this year, I think I sent you something about it. There's something in the House of Representatives. It's called Daddy Caucus. I, I have it written down okay. here somewhere. The Daddy Caucus. Um, um, oh, yeah. here it is. Yeah. It was uh, called the Dad's Caucus, the Congressional Dad's Caucus. Two men, Jim, two uh, House of Representatives, two congressmen, Jimmy Gomez from California uh -huh. and Joaquin Castro from Texas. During that shit show of trying to swear in the <laughs> the latest Congress, you know, with uh, the guy electing a speaker, right? Yeah. Right. So it kept going on and on. And two of the men, those two guys, Jimmy Gomez and Joaquin Castro, there's a picture of it. Yep. I sent it to you. You might. If, they I'm brought sure. their babies to the floor because they said the, the women can't be the only ones taking care of child of child of children. So there's a movement now in our in the Democratic House of Representatives for the men to say, "Come on, we got to get this going." I mean, there was a story I read, and this is a terrible recurring theme: women breastfeeding in public. Yeah, like there was a woman, Emmanuel. Her name was uh, she was a councilwoman in Wisconsin, Catherine Emmanuel was breastfeeding her baby on the floor and they said in a meeting and they banned her. 
they banned her. This happens all the time. We're still well, we're still in the right. 1800s. Well, do you know, they are, they are uh, in, in Congress, actually. They are changing the rules because now the Republicans are in, in charge. And, of course, they're the Puritans, although it's weird because they're always the ones involved in sex scandals. But women can't even have bare arms. Like what I'm wearing, I couldn't wear this on the floor of the house. Because, you know, you, Bella Abzu couldn't wear her hat on the right. house floor. Well, they still can't. Um, um, uh, what's her name? That's, uh, that I understand, right. you know, but it's right. yeah, ridiculous. But, but you can't wear a sleeveless, um, you know, I, I live in Florida. It's hot here right now. It's 86 degrees. So and it's warm these rules? in my studio yeah. because they want to dictate to women how we dress, how we act, how we think, how we parent, how we live. Whether or not Ridiculous. we give birth, everything. Uh, but that, but but they're the small government party. Just yeah, you know. right. You know, it's so it's it's so interesting. Um, when I when I work when I do my research and I do my play about you know she's history and how dangerous it was to, for women to have babies. I mean, it's still dangerous. But back in the day, it was like. 50% of women, you, you would lose a child. Like that's why women and had 14 kids. Cause they'd lose so many would die in childbirth or, or women would die. I mean, you yeah. look at Mary Wollstonecraft, for instance, who was, you know, like one of the, are really our first feminist writer, her book, she wrote in the 1790s, a vindication of the rights of women. She had her baby girl, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Right. But Mary Wollstonecraft died 10 days after giving birth. It's very common. So now to bring it to the present, when I first wrote my play and I would talk about how dangerous it was to have a baby, today it's just as dangerous not to. Just as dangerous not to have a baby. Really? You hear what I'm saying, Nicole? No. If you choose to have an abortion, you're choosing not to have a baby, you're going to go to jail. That's right. It's beyond belief that it's more dangerous to not... Right. Have a baby. And you know what? The newest thing. So this I went off on this yesterday because a, a press release went out from Walgreens and my insurance through Florida Blue specifies I can only use Walgreens for pharmacy service. It's the only pharmacy I can use under their plan. So I'm stuck with Walgreens. No other choice. Walgreens announced yesterday that they will no longer fill prescriptions for the abortion pill for medical abortions. Right. Yes. Even that's in the bu- states, that's what's- even in states where it's legal, they are discriminating against women's health care. A major pharmacy change chain, one of the uh, only two or three, really, because everything's consolidated, discriminating against women's health care, siding with the lobbyists over women. I, I, I went ballistic on my insurance company yesterday and yeah. said, this is criminal. I heard you. You went all Karen. <laughs> I did. I went all Karen. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess the ACLU is never going to have, you know, a down day. I mean, they must. I know they're fighting it, it all over the place. If I ever become a gazillionaire, that's where who I'm leaving my money to. Yeah. I mean. All right. Yep. I hear you. So um, you, you're in Southern California. You, you're working on all different um, incarnations of she is history. Um, there could be a book in the works. There's still the play. Yeah, there's a there one woman book play. In the works. There's there's all kinds of stuff. But it is now Women's History Month, and every year you always do at least one reading or one performance. Where can we see you this month? 
Yeah. So I'm a member of Theater West in Los Angeles, which is the the longest operating theater in Los Angeles. I'm so proud to be a member. It's a a dues-paying membership. So we all support the theater. And we're doing a new play, New Works Play Festival. So I am doing a reading of my full cast version. So just for a little background, when I started doing my solo play, I always got a wonderful reception, but it's hard to get a booking. And I, my whole goal is really to get the stories of the women heard and seen. And it's hard with a solo show. And even if I get it published, a lot of, it's hard to do a solo show. Not so many actors want to do it. Although I love it. Anyway, I started working on a full cast version because I thought this is a way to get the stories out. And the the show is, similar in tone to the solo play, but the full cast version, which I call She Is History, instead of She's History, which is, you know, small thing. But there are, you need, you can be done between 10 and 20 actresses, but all women. All the women play all the parts. They play the men, they play the children. And, you know, back in Shakespeare's day, women were not even allowed on the stage. So I'm just trying to balance the scales here, folks. (laughs) There you go. Yep. Yeah, so it covers three centuries. There's 31 roles. It's a very ambitious play. And to be honest, it's very difficult to get a play of that magnitude, that type of ambitious play produced, because it's really expensive to produce a play. Anyway, I've done four or five readings. My first reading inaugurated the Samuel French um, bookstore, the green room at the Samuel French bookstore, which is no longer existing. I've done one for the women's, um, I think it's right here on my poster, the West Hollywood City Council Chambers. They sponsored a show for August 20th. You know, we didn't talk about August 26th, which is Women's Equality Day, mm-hmm. which is the day we celebrate women winning the vote, the 19th of Amendment in 1920, that Bella Abza turned into, you know, a big celebration. So I keep doing these readings and I also do it just to develop as a playwright because I thought I could just take the solo play and just turn it into a, and I couldn't. But now I did because I I have a writer's workshop at my theater company, Theater West in Los Angeles. So Tuesday, March 14th, I have a flyer and you can go to she'shistory.com. And uh, it's just an evening of fabulous females bringing to life the stories of fabulous females. Cool. So, so if someone wants to go in Los Angeles, it's at Theater it's West. Free. It's at 14. Wow. Free. free. So it's no free. excuse not to go. March 14th. Yeah, it's Tuesday night, uh, the 14th. It's at 7.30 p.m. All the information is on my website. And I love doing it. First of all, it's wonderful to give women the op- I have women in their 80s playing men in their 20s. Right. And it's for me as an actress... It's so fun to work with because I've been doing solo shows. So it was really fun to act with other actresses and see what everybody does. I have a scene in there about when I went to see my first lawyer and my lawyer said to me, when we go to court, don't say a word. <laughs> and, you know, I have a whole scene with Ann Crittenden and her talking about, you know, what what it's like when you stop when you leave the paid workforce and I have a scene in there about going for a job and, you know, a, a scene about maternal profiling. And, you know, it's just but funny. Lots of funny, lots of funny sprinkles Um, in because you need, you need sugar for your medicine. But the truth is, you know, history, I never enjoyed history at all in school. I had no interest in it. I am self-educated and, you know, you got to bring the funny. That's how you get, that's how you do it. You bring the funny. So there's, well, a lot of it is about the, the whole premise of it is a mom is enlightening her children because, 
They, you know, she wants to do her women's history board on Cher or Janet Jackson or back in the day, Paris Hilton, you know, because I've been doing this for such a long time. So, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff about the challenges and absurdity of modern, modern day motherhood. And luckily for me, I raised my kids before social media. And I do say when I when I talk about the play, this play was written and takes place before social media took off Mm -hmm. luckily we have in my play a wall phone now for the young folks (laughs) a wall phone is a phone that's on the wall with a with a cord and so when somebody calls your house you know you know who it is and i have to say unfortunately i don't know if, if it's okay to say this but part of the reason i had such a hard time in my divorce was because my husband bought my daughter who was like 12 years old a cell phone that I didn't know about and he was communicating with her on the sly and she was getting phone calls from people I didn't yeah wow and I didn't know what was going on because I didn't know who was in her life so well that happens yeah. I and I remember those wall phones well um, yeah so the, the point of me doing this full cast version of she is history if anyone out there wants to help out I just want to get it produced or workshopped at a theater and it's very difficult especially in Los Angeles which really gets a bad rap as a, it's a great theater town there's a ton of great theater here but it's just it really it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to produce a play like this because you have to pay people so I'm using this wonderful reading it's fun and great but i'm kind of using it as a backers audition and i'm hoping to get people there that want to do something with it get the stories of these women seen and heard and it should be i mean this should be everywhere and especially now i'll tell you something with all these streaming services that need content i don't know what they're waiting for somebody should swoop in and and finance a filmed production of this so it can be produced into a movie or a show or something. So we've done our little part in you're recording some fabulous female facts that I will be airing here. I'll link them from where I post today's show at NicoleSandler.com. And, um, and uh, you know, as we've talked about, I'm working on another project, female oriented music. um, And this kind of stuff will fit in there because the women in our history, the, the founding mothers and those who paved the way for all of the good things we have today, they're all women who rock. Yeah. Good one. You know, I just want to leave you with one thing. One of the reasons I, another way that I ended up writing about uh, women's history was when I was going through this divorce and feeling completely oppressed by the family legal system. And I thought, I'm going to go back into the library where I had done all my research on women and motherhood for Cheerios in my underwear. I said, I'm going to go find, I'm going to go educate myself and fight the courts. And I go to the library and I ask, where are the women's uh, section of books about women and women, women's rights? And I go to the library and I get into this one aisle of the W's and I find this book. I actually have it right here and I'm going to show it to you because this is my Bible. I find this book, Women's Women's Progress Progress in America. America. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I open it to I'm trying to find women's rights and I go to the. I think the W page for women's rights, because the book is in alphabetical order. A is uh, abolition, abortion, S is Gloria Steinem. I go to the W page and I see a picture of Victoria Woodhull, the first woman to run for president, the prostitute who ran for president. This was right when Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama, a white woman and a black man. And I see a Victoria Woodhull 
and Frederick Douglass. She asked Frederick Douglass to be her running mate. Right. And I literally just said, who's this? I never heard of her. Most people don't know who the hell she is. And I sit down on the floor and I start reading this book and I went down the rabbit hole and I never came back. I remember it. And the story of Victoria Woodhull is amazing. We should all know who. Oops. I want to just tell you also, I met Gloria Steinem a few times. I got to perform for Gloria Steinem, who is, you know, amazing. And I met her for the first time at some fundraiser that I was invited to in Beverly Hills. And I remember I had just started working on my play and I went up to her and I said, oh, I was so starstruck. I was like tongue tied. I said, I'm working on a play about... Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Frances Wright, who we never talked about today, and Victoria Woodhull. And first she said, how are you going to fit them all in in your play, Uh which I have fit them all in my play. And then she told me, oh, Victoria Woodhull, yeah, Tom Cruise bought a script for um, his wife, Nicole Kidman, to do. And and Madonna was attached to a musical on Broadway. Like, she knew this. I'm like, I go home, I Google, none of it ever came to fruition. But, and then I think there's another, you know, there'll be something wonderful. When I did my first, the first time I performed my solo play, 45 minutes of it was just Victoria Woodhull. I had a cut, because you can't do, you know, Elaine Stritch can do a 90-minute play about her life. But for, you know, for me, it's very factual, so much, there's just so much you can ask people to take in. So, Victoria Woodhull, what a what a woman. Oof. Okay, so there's your there's your teaser. That's the thing to if nothing else to entice you, you need to hear Victoria Woodhull's story. And it is included in She Is History, which will be read March 14th in Los Angeles. It's free, no reason not to go. All the details at she's history.com. Cultural historian. A performer, playwright, Amy Simon. Um, this I've, you know, this I've had a ringside seat to see the development of this over the last thirteen years or so, and it's just amazing. And I love that you're now you've been contacted to possibly um, pursue a book, and it, as it should be, it should be everywhere. So maybe the times are finally catching up. Would be nice. Would be very nice. I'll die before I finish writing about all the women that we don't know anything about. (laughs) Well, you know, it's nice to know there's a never ending um, pool of of material to. Well, women keep making history, but I will say I'm really more drawn to the women from history that we don't know about. Like we now we know pretty, you know, we know about Kamala Harris and people know about the name of Lala Yousafzai, but don't. Don't we'll, know we'll Victoria do three Woodhull. more hours if right. I get started now. I hear yeah. you. So there you go. She's history.com. Amy Simon, happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month to you, you fabulous female. <laughs> Amy Simon, uh, she, she is a fabulous female. And I mentioned that she recorded these fabulous female facts. So we have them running on the Progressive Voices Network. But let me give you a little taste of one, shall we? Um, how about, because the... The, the chat room was talking about her. How about Shirley Chisholm? Here is uh, one of those fabulous female facts right now. The Progressive Voices Network and Women Who Rock celebrate Women's History Month. Cultural historian, playwright, and performer Amy Simon with a fabulous female fact. Shirley Anita St. Hill Chisholm was born in Brooklyn in 1924 to immigrant parents who were from Barbados. Her dad, Charles, was a baker's helper, worked in a factory, and Shirley said he would have been a great scholar had he gone to college. Her mom was a seamstress. 
Shirley was almost four years old with three little sisters when her mom, struggling with the same issues as today, childcare, made the tough decision to move the girls to her mom's family farm in Barbados so she and Charles could save enough to, as Shirley wrote, assure their future, which meant buy a brownstone and send the kids to college. In Barbados, Shirley attended a one-room schoolhouse and learned to read and write before she turned five and considered her early, strict, traditional, British-style Barbadian education a gift. She was nine years old when they moved back to Brooklyn, Brownsville, a very white Jewish ghetto. Always a fantastic student and a prize-winning debater, she graduated from Brooklyn College cum laude in 1946 and spent her life working for childcare, education, and social justice. And she earned her master's in childhood education from Columbia University in 1951. Classy and elegant with a supportive husband, Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman elected to Congress in 1968, a founding member of both the Congressional Black Caucus and the National Women's Political Caucus and literally helped feed poor people working on WIC, which is the Nutritional Program for Women, Infants, and Children. She worked on domestic workers' unemployment benefits, helped students attend college. She worked with Bella Abzug, her sister New Yorker, on a killer child care bill, which President Nixon vetoed. The list goes on. In 1972, Shirley Chisholm became the first Democrat with a pair of ovaries to run for president. Her campaign slogan was unbought and unbossed. Also, the title of her autobiography, of which Gloria Steinem said, read the words of Shirley Chisholm, the woman who paved the way for Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama by taking the white male-only sign off the White House door. She also said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair, which she kind of did when she was, let's say, not invited to participate in a televised presidential debate with Senator George McGovern and former Vice President Hubert Humphrey. She was finally allowed when she got a federal court order. She spent her life making the world better. Of my two handicaps, she said, being a woman put more obstacles in my path than being black. Shirley Chisholm never had kids and died in 2005. That's another fabulous female fact from Amy Simon of She's History.com. Celebrating Women's History Month on the Progressive Voices Network. So you can hear those fabulous female facts running throughout the day on the Progressive Voices Network, ProgressiveVoices.com, or on the app. So I figured we would wrap up our celebration of International Women's Day with a song, no today, not from the Marsh family, but from another fabulous female. This one, uh, another person I met, uh, discovered during the pandemic, uh, met her virtually, Shirley Serban, who started off doing these She's a a school principal in New Zealand. And during the pandemic, during the lockdown, she started playing around with videos and parody songs about the pandemic. And now she does them about just life in general. And of course, she did one that illustrates something that all women of a certain age experience. So I thought we'd go out with this one today. Uh, I'll do, just just listen to Shirley. Shirley Sherbon, everyone. Happy International Women's Day. My new life, irritability, shutting down inside. I can't sleep and so is she. Got sweaty thighs, this is my demise, you see. Oh, oh, oh. 
flash comes, memory goes, mood is high, then it's low. Every day more hair grows where I don't want any to be. It's menopause, no more children can be bred, now my ovaries are dead. Mama, no it's not much fun, I once was hot in quite a different way. Can't remember my plans for tomorrow, and my drive has all gone. Oh no, my brain is feeling scattered. We've all been through it, or will be going through it. Too late, my prime has gone. Bones shrinking in my spine, body's aching all the time. Good night, no, I won't sleep, just got to go. Gonna toss and turn and pee the whole night through. Yes, I am. A hot flush, you shush, open, open the windows. Thunderbolts and lightning, don't cross me, I'm frightening. See, all I say, oh, or you'll pay, oh, don't delay, oh, don't you know? I'm gonna blow. I'm just a poor girl with a hot body. She's just a poor girl, nauseous and clammy. Just give her chocolate and wine, let her be. Magnesium for the bones, more pills for my hormones. Hot flush. No, we will not let you go. Let me go. We will not let you go. Let me go. Mood swing. We will not let you go. Let me go. We'll not let you go. Let me go. We'll not let you go. Let me go. Menopause, menopause, just let me go. This hellish cup turns a woman into wild banshees, banshees, banshees. So you think you can stop age and turn back time? So you think that your fountain of youth won't run dry? you 
That is Shirley Sherban, S-E-R-B-A-N. Find her on YouTube. She's awesome. Uh, again, a, a, an elementary school principal in New Zealand who literally found her voice during the pandemic and started doing these videos, and she's brilliant. And I figured that one, <laughs> uh, Menopause Rhapsody, would be the perfect way to wrap up our show on this International Day of the Woman. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've been through it, you get it. You got it. You know it. If you haven't, you've got something to look forward to or not. All right. With that, we're done. Tomorrow's Thursday. Howie Klein will be here. I'll tell you a little bit more progress on Women Who Rock. It is coming. Hopefully, we'll have a stream, a soft launch sometime during Women's History Month. they got a lot of work to do, though, on it. So I'm going to go. I'll leave you with the news, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry about the streaming problems. It's only YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. No problem with the video streaming at all. YouTube, you suck. Sorry. All right, see you tomorrow. Here's the news. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. It's Wednesday. It's the International Day of the Woman. We'll celebrate today on the Nicole Sandler Show, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific on Progressive Voices or wherever you get your podcasts. Tucker Carlson stepped in it again last night for the second night in a row as he attempts to use the 41,000 plus hours of surveillance video from the Capitol on January 6th given to him exclusively by Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy due to what he calls in true Orwellian doublespeak transparency. This report is from Fox, not news, really. The never-before-seen video presented a different narrative compared to the violent storyline curated by the 1-6 committee. The January 6th committee has deliberately tried to create the impression that most folks who came here are terrorists, and that's just wrong. New pictures showed people strolling around the Capitol sightseeing, Capitol Police even mingling with the intruders. But other Republicans paint a different picture of January 6th. There were a lot of people uh, in the Capitol at the time who uh, I think um, were scared for their lives. So, you you know, everyone described it, but it was... uh, 
uh, it was an attack on the Capitol. When you come into the chambers, when you start opening the members' desks, when you stand up in their balcony, to, to somehow put that in the same category as a you know permitted peaceful protest is uh, is just a lie. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger says, "Quote: The opinion program never reached out to the department to provide accurate context." Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell agrees with Manger that the new video lacks a proper frame of reference. My uh, concern is how it was depicted, which is a different issue. Clearly, the chief of the Capitol Police, in my view, correctly describes what most of us witnessed firsthand. McConnell questioned how the show handled the video on the air. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at Capitol thinks. Rioters outmanned officers 58 to 1. A congressional security source tells Fox the mob controlled the Capitol for nearly two and a half hours. That's why officers appeared to chat casually with rioters. Officers do what they can to de-escalate situations rather than escalate the situation to something worse. It's really a form of self-preservation. Manger said the program cherry-picked from the calmer moments and doesn't show the chaos and violence. The Capitol Police wouldn't comment for this story. Sund lost his job because of the riot. The level of violence I saw on January 6th was something I had not seen before. I just don't think the depiction that it was, you know, a walk in the park uh, is, is true and accurate. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy promised to release all video from congressional security cameras. The American public should actually see all what happened instead of a report that's written for a political basis. Democrats argue the tape release exposes security vulnerabilities. Speaker McCarthy has played a treacherous a treacherous game by catering to the hard right. The feds have arrested 999 defendants connected to the riot. 106 were charged with using a deadly weapon. They assaulted 140 police officers, some so badly they'll never return to work. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was seen walking in the new video by himself. He died the next day from a blood clot. Sicknick's partner, Sandra Garza, said she's appalled and the video downplayed his death. It's amazing that Fox actually ran a legitimate news story about disinformation being spewed to its massive, almost captive audience. But they still haven't, and apparently won't, cover the even bigger story about the gaslighting and actual lies that the cable channel's primetime hosts pushed that led to the $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Systems against Fox. Dominion has been releasing troves of damning documents, which explicitly show the depths of deception that Fox engaged in, from the on-air hosts all the way up to Rupert Murdoch himself, in order to stop the audience migration away from Fox and the drop in the price of their stock. In Dominion's latest release just yesterday, we got some insights into what Tucker Carlson actually thinks, despite his saying the opposite on air. One prime example, on air, Carlson has defended the former guy and his big lie about winning the 2020 presidential election. But in one of his newly released texts, Carlson wrote of Trump, quote, I hate him passionately. What he's good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. Fox which calls itself news, but obviously isn't, is not reporting on the Dominion lawsuit at all. Got it? Good. In other news, Fed Chair Jerome Powell testified before the Senate Banking Committee on Tuesday, where he basically said that because the economy is doing so well and we're experiencing an all-time record low unemployment rate, we need to slow it down? I get that inflation is bad, but isn't a strong economy and low unemployment the goal here? Elizabeth Warren appeared to agree 
as she had a few words for Mr. Powell yesterday. Right now, the unemployment rate is 3.4 percent, which is the lowest in 54 years. And we actually don't think that we need to see a sharp or enormous increase in unemployment to get inflation under control. I'm looking at your projections. Do you call laying off 2 million people this year not a sharp increase in unemployment? Explain that to the 2 million families who are going to be out of work. We need a Fed that will fight for families. And if you're not going to lead that charge, we need someone at the Fed who will. And that's just a bit of what's news. For now, I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener-supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on that Donate button. The Progressive Voices Network and Women Who Rock celebrate Women's History Month. Cultural historian, playwright, and performer Amy Simon with a fabulous female fact. Anne Marbury Hutchinson, mother of the First Amendment, was born in England in 1591. A nurse, midwife, pioneer, mother of 12 or 15, with 9 or 11 surviving, sources differ, was not your average quiet, submissive housewife and mother of the colonial period. The daughter of a minister and Cambridge scholar, the family and others followed the preaching of John Cotton, a Protestant minister. They had issues with the Catholic Church, corruption being one, and disillusioned embraced a new kind of puritanical religion. When she shared her dissenting views on religion with other people, specifically female people, she inadvertently inspired one of the most important conflicts of the entire 17th century, known as the antinomian controversy. Preaching just to women was a big no-no. It started out innocently enough. She went to church, and afterwards she liked discussing the sermons. Everyone did. Thing was, the women were excluded from certain meetings of religious discourse. Being excluded from certain meetings of religious discourse that only the men could attend, and felt left out. Well, who wouldn't? So she started started what could be called the first girls' night out, with weekly women-only meetings. No one minded at first, but then she got a little carried away, starting her own religious sect and got into a lot of trouble. She certainly endured one of the most famous and god-awful, pun intended, trials in American history, told by the men, we do not mean to discourse with those of your sex. And you have stepped out of your place. You have rather been a husband than a wife, a preacher than a hearer, and a magistrate than a subject. She was convicted of heresy, an opinion or belief that contradicts established religious teachings and sedition, actions or words intended to provoke or incite rebellion against government authority. Where have we heard that lately? And banished from the colony to Rhode Island. Her desire for freedom of speech and freedom to assemble absolutely contributed to the foundation of the First Amendment. Anne Marbury Hutchinson ended up with many of her followers in what is now the Bronx and was tragically killed in 1643 by Indians who were fighting with the Dutch. That's another fabulous female fact from Amy Simon of She'sHistory.com. Celebrating Women's History Month on the Progressive Voices Network.